0: few verses we're going to deal with are going to be verses 38 through 42, Matthew 5, uh, 38 through 42. Is that a little loud or is that about right or just fine? Okay. All right. right, We'll we'll title this message, uh, Going the Second Mile, Going the Second Mile. Let's read Matthew 5, verse 38 through 42. Jesus says, "'You have heard that it was said, "'An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. "'But I tell you not to resist an evil person. "'But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, "'turn the other to him also. "'If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, "'let him have your cloak also. "'And whoever compels you to go one mile, "'go with him too.' Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Let's pray. Father, help us as we come to uh, this portion of your word in uh, the greatest sermon that we've ever read uh, by your son Jesus, and I pray that you just teach us, Lord, from the words of Christ, and help us, Lord, to not only hear what he has to say, but to know how to apply these principles to our life and our culture today Uh, help us lord to obey the words of christ that we might exemplify christ in all of our actions in jesus name we pray and amen all right we've been some time here in matthew 5 and looking at all these times lately where jesus keeps saying this phrase uh, you have heard that it was said and Jesus, again, it's important we say this each time, I think. Jesus has not been correcting the law or the Old Testament. Uh, He has been correcting the application, or rather, misapplication of the Old Testament by the teachers of the day. Uh, And it's no different here in this section. He's doing the same thing, he's talking to the same crowd. You've heard it said he's been correcting things; they've been misapplying the word of God in ways it shouldn't be applied, and so he is correcting that. And so it's no different for this. Uh, Jesus did not change this. When he says an eye for an eye, it's still written in the Old Testament, and there's still application. But the principle in the law is found in Exodus and also in Leviticus. But but here is what was happening in Jesus' day from, from what I've read and from what I can understand. The principle of an eye for an eye, uh, from what I can understand, was being applied to personal retribution, to personal retribution. And so the Pharisees were taking it basically and saying, if anybody does anything to you, you can do exactly the same to them. Well, that wasn't the purpose of an eye for an eye when you look it up in Exodus and Leviticus. It wasn't how to treat people personally? It was for the civil authorities and how they were to execute justice, and that's a complete different thing. Our civil government, listen, would do well to do an eye for an eye. You understand that? We need an eye for an eye in our civil government. We really do. And what does that mean? I'm not talking about we need to be plucking people's eyes out, okay? Um, but if somebody stabbed somebody in the eye and took their eye out, it wouldn't be a bad idea. What, what does it mean eye for an eye though? It's talking about exacting justice. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. We need that. We don't have that in our justice system and we would be better off if we did. That um, would be justice. And so the eye for an eye, is speaking of the punishment equaling the crime. Uh, now more often we find though that the government does not mete out an equal punishment for the crimes committed, does it? it it's not equal. Uh, either they cause the punishment to be too little, we're like, wow, I can't believe that's the time they're getting, or, or they killed somebody and now they're out of jail. Either the, the punishment doesn't equal the crime, or it's just as bad whenever the punishment is greater than the crime. And sometimes the justice system is often that. Not usually, but sometimes there are cases where the punishment is greater than the crime. I mean, they had to do that, and that's what they did. I have seen cases of that even in our time. Um, For our government to be fair and to carry out justice, it needs equal punishment for the crimes committed. That was the purpose of the eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. So first of all, in the big context of this passage, Jesus is saying, do not be like the Pharisees, Do not listen to these applications or misapplications of the law. They they had only an outward form of righteousness, which we've looked at before, and they did not seek an inward righteousness. Do not be like them. That's the bigger context. Be like your Father in heaven who is perfect, as he mentions in verse 48. Now, let us get into what Jesus is teaching in these principles here and what he talks about in these verses in verse 38 through 42. Uh, first of all, we'll look at giving an extra cheek. We'll go, go the extra mile. When well, Jesus talks about giving an extra cheek, too. I, I just kind of like saying that. Giving an extra cheek. Uh, now, here's, here's what we need to understand. Jesus is not teaching about how the civil government was to operate, correct? And he's not talking about that. He's talking about interrelationships. The civil government needs to... And make needs to and must make the punishment equal to the crime, as we have said. And God has given the government that authority to do that. Let me just reemphasize that a little bit because it's important to understand that that didn't change in the New Testament. In Romans, Paul says this in, in thirteen one through four. He says, "Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God." And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works. They're not supposed to be, right? That's why God ordained them. But to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Then he says, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So if the government is doing what God has ordained it to do, living up to its God's authority and what God has ordained them to do, it will execute wrath on those who practice evil. Folks, we need our government to do that. If it doesn't, we have mayhem. Um, So, why do I emphasize that again is because if Jesus is teaching that the civil government is not to avenge eye for eye, if that's what he's talking about, then Paul is teaching the opposite of what Jesus did. And we know that's not taking place. So it is clear, uh, seeing that Jesus is not teaching against his own word, the eye for eye, And in similar fashion to what he has been saying, in the sense he's teaching against what the Pharisees have been teaching, when you look at this application of the Old Testament from the teachers of the day, it's clear that Jesus is clearly talking about personal retribution or personal revenge. That's the only way it makes sense without scriptures, without pulling it out of his context, he's talking about the teachings of the Pharisees, without contradicting what Paul has taught, without contradicting... The Old Testament is clearly teaching against personal retribution and revenge. And Paul taught against personal retribution and revenge, didn't he? In, in Romans chapter 12, right before Romans 13, or we just read right before that, Paul said this, repay no one evil for evil. That's in the, at the end of chapter 12. And then immediately in chapter 13, he says, God has ordained civil government to, take, to avenge wrath. And so God has given place to wrath. One of those places to wrath is in the government. He then says in Romans 12, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And one of the ways the Lord repays is sometimes through the civil government. And even if the civil government does not take care of it, the Lord is going to take care of it someday, we know that. Now, also, I think it's important to understand this, to understand the context, Jesus is also not teaching against any form of self-defense. If we were to now take this passage and apply it to disallowing any type of self-defense, we also would be guilty of the same thing the Pharisees was doing and misapplying the word of God. An eye for an eye is applying to personal retribution. Now, So, Jesus is not saying that, well, if somebody's beating you up, (laughs) just turn the other way and let them beat you up on the other side. I've actually heard these verses used eye for an eye, tooth for or or turning the cheek even given to women who were in abusive relationships with men. Well, you know, the Bible says turn the cheek. Really? You think that's what Jesus is teaching, that if a woman, a, a man slaps her in the face, then she should give him the other cheek and just go back and forth? That's the application that you come to if if you look at it like that. Very foolishly and dangerously has that been applied to that. Jesus is not talking about bearing physical assault. The smiting on the cheek was not about physically assaulting someone. In the context of the culture, that's not what he's talking about at all. It was humiliating somebody. It was personal insult and humiliation. That's different than physical assault. Jesus says, if anyone smites you or slaps you on your right cheek. Now, most men are right handed. David, let's illustrate this. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) For me to hit David on his right cheek, I'm right handed. I can't go like this, like a man, like a fist. It was. It's a, Maybe you've even seen movies where there's their personal insult, the slap. It's a, it's a back slap in his right cheek. It was a form of humiliation. Folks, you're not going to die from that. It's not going to kill you. It's one slap. You're going to live. It's a form of humiliation. And this was something that actually took place to humiliate someone. It's, a, it's like a personal insult. Sometimes we've even said, Somebody has insulted you and you said what? Well, that's a slap in the face. <laughs> Where do you think we got that saying from? Somebody insults you, well, that's a slap in the face when he said that to me. That goes all the way back to when they used to actually literally slap people in the face <laughs> as a personal insult. And so, if someone was to slap in the right cheek, Jesus is saying, that you cannot apply an eye for an eye to this situation. He's saying, you can't do that. And that's what they were doing. They were saying, what they were doing is they were applying the scripture of an eye for an eye to their culture, that whenever somebody slapped them to humiliate them, they said, well, eye for an eye, pop. You know, they, they slapped me, I get to slap them back. That's what they were doing. Jesus saying, you can't do that. He says, turn the cheek to them and give them the left. Say, okay, you want to slap me in the right? Slap me in the left. I mean, that's not going to kill you. Now, it was interesting to to read some commentators of the time to, to what they believed that Jesus was saying and turning the cheek. Some believed that by standing there and giving the other cheek, they were in essence also saying, I do not accept your insult. Here's the other cheek. You're going to punch me like a man. <laughs> In other words, here's the other one. You're not going to be able to slap me now. You're going to have to use your right fist and come at me. But, but anyhow, it's basically saying, I'm going to stand here and face you. So it's, it's actually an act of boldness. So it's important that we understand that this slapping of the cheek during this time was an insult, not a physical assault. Jesus is teaching us to not respond back to insult with more insult. If someone seeks to physically humiliate us in some way, by words or by actions, it's easy for our flesh to want to humiliate them in return. I mean, somebody humiliates you, insults you, embarrasses you publicly, boy, you want to get them back. But how often is it ever an eye for an eye? How often does someone humiliate you publicly and you want to get them right back if you equaled that out? No, you always got to take it a step further. They take it a step further. It always goes that way. that God does not give us the right to give insult for insult, insult slap for slap. If others slap us with an insult, which is what usually takes place in our culture, we're insulted, we want to slap them back with a greater one so that we feel like we got the better of them. So to respond the right way when personally humiliated or insulted, we need a spirit of love and selflessness. (laughs) we got to swallow our pride. we got to humble ourselves. It's not easy. You know, when people insult you or humiliate you in some way, our flesh wants to instantly get revenge and insult them back. And when we respond to insult with insult, then we are only going to make things worse. Insults can hurt our feelings. They can strip dignity from us. And we're, we're taught in the Word of God that... that we should treat others the way we should want to be treated, and so we are not to respond with insult with insult and, and strip any dignity away from them, though they've already lost it by slapping us in the first place. When reviled, we're taught in 1 Peter 2, like Jesus, we are to revile not again. The word revile speaks of being reproached or being vilified. When He was reproached and made to be the villain, He bore it for our good. Earlier in Matthew five eleven, Jesus said, Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you. Listen, if we're humiliated, insulted, we are, we are to take it as a blessing. Again, this is not about physical assault. There is a difference. But now let's go on here to get through this. Giving an extra coat or a mile in verses 40 through 42. Now, Jesus gives two more examples here of how to respond to others whenever it's obvious they're trying to take advantage of you and really not treating you well. Again, these are ways that will express selflessness, especially in that culture. Jesus is making some really practical everyday application for the people uh, in this uh, sermon. You know, selfishness will hang on tight to all that it possesses. And so when asked by others to let go of it, it can be very challenging to us. You know, if somebody wants something from you, he says, give them more. Selflessness has a loose grip on possessions and is willing to give what is asked and even more. That's, that's tough, especially when someone is asking you who is genuinely selfish. <laughs> you know, it can be very easy to be selfless and giving to someone who is Selfless and giving. <laughs> but to be selfless and giving to someone who is very selfish in nature and ask and ask and ask, ugh, it's hard. Jesus is teaching us in both of these examples to do the selfless act, to do the loving act, and even the unexpected act. In other words, they ask for one thing, you give them more. They ask for one mile, you give them two. When someone asks of you of a demanding nature, He's saying, give them more. And this is a hard thing to apply sometimes to life. And, I, and I, honestly, I've asked, been asked many times in my ministry, well, "Well, what does all this mean? What does it look like today? You know, I don't know that I can give you a list of, of, of how to apply this in all of our different situations. Uh, but we need to seek our best to pray about those things. Where we feel like we need to go the extra mile, go the extra mile. Where we, where we feel like we're being taken advantage of, consider giving more. I don't, I don't always have the answer. And I know that there's a lot of scenarios we can apply this to. Um, I'm not talking about physical humiliation in the sense of you getting hurt physically or anything like that, you know. Jesus was not talking about that. Uh, but there's times in which people are wanting possessions. That's what he's talking about, possessions. And he says, give them more. Also, he's talking about personally, <laughs> and I don't think that the government needs to just give people everything they want. So I'll, I'll talk. I'll say that too. <laughs> From what I understand regarding the time of Jesus as well, because Judea was under Roman military occupation, I know I've mentioned this in the past, uh, but they were under military law. Any soldier could command a Jew to carry his pack. Uh, But by law, he was only allowed to uh, tell the Jew to carry it one mile. There was a one-mile limit at that time. So any Roman soldier could look at any Jew and say, carry my pack for a mile, and by law, he had to carry it out. Listen, that's exactly what Jesus is referring to here, how to respond to the Roman authorities. He says, they ask you one mile, give them two. Now that would throw them off for a loop, wouldn't it? (laughs) I mean, knowing, knowing the contention there between the Jews and the Romans, and a Roman soldier says, hey, I want you to carry my pack a mile, and, he's, and the Jew says, you know what, I'll carry it too for you. So Jesus is teaching them to go the one mile required by law, and then give another mile really out of love, out of compassion, out of selflessness. So We can only imagine how this type of response would affect a Roman soldier. Now, selfishness, pride, resentment, possibly at times even a sense of justice, would be totally tempted to resent a soldier for asking this of them. This just isn't fair. This isn't right. Probably many soldiers would gloat over the Jews as they required this of them. It would be hard to go the mile knowing that they were under the Roman government and Roman rule, and they had to do this and then to give them an extra mile? Because you're not only giving them one mile extra, you're possibly giving them two miles extra. Because you've got to come back home. In some, in some situations, scenarios, if it's one mile from this city to the next city, well, first of all, you've got to come back. If, that's, if you're coming back, if you going to give them an extra mile, guess what? You've got to come back an extra mile. So in essence, Jesus is saying, not, don't give them an extra mile, it's actually giving a possible extra two miles. Because you're going to have to carry it one mile and two miles, guess what? It's two miles to get back. This would take work, effort, time, humility, selflessness. How wonderful it would be Well, we don't have that culture, you know. People, I'm not being sued right now, or maybe you are. I don't, I don't know how to handle all that either. There's, I think there's different situations and scenarios for all of that. But let's just think about our everyday life, apart from the law, apart from the government. What would it look like if we exercised this much selflessness and going beyond what is being asked or even required of us in our everyday life? What what if we went the extra mile at work? You guys that have a job, I mean, what if you, instead of trying to get out of there as soon as possible, you actually try to do a little extra, or... The boss said to do X number of things, and he said, you know what, I think I'm going to do a little bit extra. Well, what would that look like? Now, listen, if your boss doesn't know Jesus Christ, let me tell you what, that's one way to be a good testimony. Do extra. Well, what if our we implied this principles to what is kind of expected us at home? Husbands, wives, children. <laughs> but you know what happens is, we don't want to do extra. <laughs> we usually we just want to do enough. We want to do just that exact amount what it takes to get by. We we don't have a mindset that says I want to go the extra mile. What if our homes operated on the extra mile principle? You know, you didn't have to be asked to do everything, or you was asked to do something, then you did two of it. You know, uh, I mean, just have that extra mile mindset. Well, what if we had the extra mile mindset and and In church and in volunteering and and helping others uh, at church. Imagine the Christ like influence we could have on our world around us, the people around our job, our home, our, our church, our community, if we responded in this way. If we were just extra mile people. That's a good title for a ministry, an extra mile ministry. The ministry that goes the extra mile. No, Jesus went the extra mile for us. He went beyond anything we could have possibly asked or thought of to ask when he went to Calvary. The examples that Jesus gave of, of suing someone suing you to take your coat, something of, it's a something of necessity... This tells us that this person is, is selfish and even asking, of course. They're, they're selfish, so they're unloving. A soldier is possibly being selfish as well. Listen, we live in a very selfish, self-centered, self-seeking world, culture, society today. It just shows up in different ways usually. Yeah, we don't have soldiers asking packs or whatever. It's slapping somebody across the face is not a way we insult people today. I'm glad that don't happen. Uh, but we do get personal insults, social media. I mean, listen, just because somebody insults you on social media, that doesn't mean you get to insult them back. <laughs> Man, that's tough, because <laughs> that's what I want to do. <laughs> um, people are being selfish in their requests, and it's easy sometimes to just want to respond their own way. I'm not going res- to do that because they're just being selfish. Well, we've got to rise higher than that and be selfless. So as a Christian tonight, bottom line is do the unexpected. You slap, somebody slaps you, they expect you to slap you back. Somebody insults you, they expect an insult back. Somebody asks something of you, they, don't, they sure don't expect you to give more. You're doing the unexpected. Be selfless. Give more than expected or required at home, work, or in church. And don't just give the minimum. What well, if we all operated like that. Boy, wouldn't the world be a better place? <laughs> Homes will be better. Community be better. Church will be better. If everybody's giving more than what is expected. It'd be wonderful. And you know what? But so many times we just want to give the minimum. I, I know I'm tempted to do that. We want to give the minimum of our time, minimum of our money. I mean, listen, if, if you're... <laughs> If, if you make you know 99 and you want to tithe 99 cents you know you got a problem just give the dollar <laughs> yeah. or not just give the ten dollars i mean you if you want to tithe 9.99 just give the ten dollars you know i i mean that kind of mindset you know go on the extra cent anyway <laughs> you know but but we uh, but if we think like it in in giving i uh, Monetarily, I'd say we probably think that way in a lot of other areas of our life too. Of giving our time, giving the minimum, giving the minimum amount of work, labor, effort. You know, I want I want to give, not monetarily, not just monetarily, but uh, of my time, uh, of my how hard I work, and not just the minimum what is expected. And uh, anyhow, I hope that's a blessing to you, Father. I pray for your help, Lord, to uh, apply these principles to our life. Uh, I pray your Holy Spirit would apply it to us and and may we remember them and apply them each and every day of our life. Help us to do the unexpected, Uh, Lord, uh, that we might exemplify Jesus Christ uh, in the world around us. In his name we pray, and amen.